today on The Breakdown? Well, I'll say this. We're heads up in a 5K for all the damn money. And it isn't just that, but let's say you happen to be Luke Reeves and you're playing against, you know, the number one ranked online player, tournament player in the world, Connor Beresford. And you decide it's time to make some fancy plays because there's going to be some fancy plays in this one, people. But Connor Beresford, you know, I did mention that he was the top dog, the head enchilada, as they call him. And uh, he's got some fancy plays in his bag, too. And this is maybe the fanciest play, <laughs> high-level hand, I don't know, maybe that we've ever done. I'm not even sure. This, there's some crazy, crazy stuff that ends up getting ha- happening. My mind is blown. I'm excited to talk about it right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. You're so excited. The ultimate teaser. There are fancy plays. I, I think um, clearly the fanciest play we've ever done, if, it, if the intention was what we thought it was, was Bryn Kenny against Matt Berkey. Oh, I thought you were going to say Simon Deadman actually, against... Uh, oh, that, that one actually... Also is fancier those, if the intention is what I thought it was. Those are both pretty fancy. I don't know, man. I think this may be the fanciest of them all, but we'll see. We'll get into okay. it. Okay. No, come on. Come on. If if Bryn Kenny actually had the intention that we came to mm. in that hand, okay. that is for sure fancier than this. Well, that is pretty fancy. But I didn't, we didn't come to that. You just said there's like a 5% chance of it being the case. That's really different. I mean, like... So, like, one out of 20 times, maybe. I, I don't know, man. Let's not worry about that. Let's worry about this. This hand is fancy enough, special enough, that it deserves its own little room. You know what I mean? It's got a special little wing in the Fancy Play Hall of Fame. Like a private karaoke? Well, I mean, there won't be actual music there, but there may be snacks if you're good. You know, uh, there's a guard. There's a, there's a, you know, they cordoned it off and... You know, not everyone can get in. I'll just say that. You can't just walk in to the fancy play wing of the fancy play Hall of Fame. The extra fancy play. Not for this hand. You, you feel me. You get what I'm saying, okay. right? Obviously. I this mean, hand's cool. That's what I'm I getting believe, at. <laughs> yeah. It is cool. I think I know what's going on in it, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. We'll figure it out as we go. Okay, great. Um, any, are we so going to make any is, jokes yeah, or are we just going to get into it? This is crazy. I have some things I want to say. Oh, well, I'm sorry for getting in your way. Please take it away. I'm getting on the bloody pulpit right now. Um, so we have a uh, bit too easy is Luke Reeves and one Connor B1 is Connor Beresford. Connor Beresford, currently the number one ranked online player in the world, according to Pocket Fives. So pretty serious stuff. Yeah. We did see bit too easy as kind of like a, a garbage human in one of our previous online hands we did. And uh, right. He didn't actually play the hand. I think. Is I that honestly right? don't remember, man. It's, you know, we're not even using the real names anymore. It's hard to keep track. We've done a lot of online stuff lately, too. You know? Yeah. Anyway, somebody came at us hard. on Twitter, and I need to address it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's offensive to me, this person. It's not actually offensive. But they, they basically said the preamble of, hey, I love your work. Great start, actually. Love that. I'm going to find out what this person's Twitter handle is because we got to get it all on the record. Wow, you really have got um, some, a blood feud going here. I mean, I just think the press... I'm, I'm more intellectually offended than anything else. All right, it's... Um, let's see, where is this? I'm going to find it, I swear. 
Tom S. All right, Tom S. He says, love the work. Tough to take seriously when you don't know who Bit Too Easy is. Mm. And uh, I take I take exception to that. Not that not that Tom's not allowed to think that way, but the idea that our analysis of poker hands is based on our fanboyness of like the online poker world and understanding who every big player in the online poker world is 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 a strange concept to me. Yeah, and doesn't make any sense. Would you agree, Jonathan? A hundred and fifty percent, Grant. I really would. Uh, I don't know that one has anything to do with the other. You could argue, actually, that I think some people would argue our analysis would be better if we were always blind to who the players' identities were uh, instead of like giving extra credit to certain players and giving no credit to other players, which we are inclined to do when the player's name is like Phil Ivey or something like that. We're like, we search really hard for there to be a reason why Phil Ivey might have made a decision. I don't think that hurts us, but I understand that some people don't like it, and that's fair. Um, yeah. So, no, I, I don't really know what this guy's talking about. I mean, and look, so Connor Beresford, as you mentioned, the number one ranked player on Pocket Fives online worldwide, literally as we're recording this, he has millions upon millions of dollars won. He's got over $8.5 million won just on Poker Stars tournaments, let alone everything else. Almost $15 million online won lifetime, according to Pocket Fives. Uh, like, you know, cool. Luke Reeves, bit too easy, not in the top 300, and I stopped looking because, you know, I could look forever, I guess. But, like, I'm not saying he hasn't done anything. He has. But, like, come on, man. Like, really? We have to know who everyone is now? Like, who cares? Can we just, can we just live our lives? Is it possible we're allowed to live our lives? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, we might be coming in a little too hard at Thomas, but it's, uh, it's like, a, to me, intellectually, just like an incorrect way of thinking that that's mm-hmm. an analyst needs to know the identity of what they're analyzing. If it has if it has no bearing on the actual analysis, why does it matter really in the end? I, so like, how does that how does that change the seriousness with which you take our analysis? I suppose is my question. And maybe the question even deeper is, and why would that be for you know maybe to look internally instead of externally at that one, like, <laughs> a little self reflection? Yeah, be in play. Anyway. Um, Thomas, sorry, sorry, you got the brunt end of that one. It's gonna happen, you know. You come at you come at the king. You best not miss, bro. You missed. All right. Uh, a secondary <laughs> thing. Speaking of coming at the king, so uh, I don't know if this is it. Last week when we, I I issued my my challenge to Phil Homuth, I think it was. Last I week. think that's when the podcast yeah. came, or maybe it was Monday. Of uh, so this podcast will be coming out about two weeks after okay. that. Actually, well, anyway, I'm just giving a little update for people who, are only follow, who aren't following us necessarily on Twitter or aren't paying attention to this. So if just a little bit has happened right now. I don't know if anything more will happen or not. But uh, So our podcast came out yesterday where I actually issued the challenge. And there's been a little bit of talk on Twitter about it already. Not too much. but uh, I think it, actually it was more than yesterday. It was like four days ago. Oh, no, it was, it was yesterday. It was You're right. Uh, I'm wrong. So one of, our, uh, one of the Hall of Famers, Mark Testart, added Phil Hubmuth on uh, Twitter and said, just at Phil Helmuth, have the balls, all caps, to accept the heads-up challenge from Jonathan Levy at Two Poker Guys, or is he chicken? Bok, bok, bakok. <laughs> Phil Helmuth then <laughs> liked that tweet. No, that's supposed to be like, that's got to be like, bok, bok, bakok. Yeah, of course. That's how you got to do that. Yeah, I was just reading it, you know, as like uh, yeah. the way like a stenographer would read it back in court. That's what I was going for there. Right. Um, but no, you're right. Um, <laughs> Phil Helmuth liked that tweet which is pretty awesome. And so we're like, Grant immediately like texted me after Phil Helmuth. He's like, things are happening. <laughs> this thing's going to happen. Uh, so that's in play from that. And then the only other really big thing that happened besides Chad McVean, who is, uh, Chad McVean is one of the rec poker guys. Yep. 
he is. Yeah. So he mentioned, he just tweeted out, he tweets out all his favorite podcasts, and he just tweeted out about our podcast, the most recent one, and mentioned that. And then Max Sawyer, another Hall of Famer, another one of the all-timers, uh, he said, one, increase buying to 20K and sell action to listeners and Hall of Famers. I mean, it's interesting that Hall of Famers and listeners are considered separate <laughs> groups in there, but right on. <laughs> Two, I will personally... Hall of Famers don't even have to listen anymore. Yeah. Max Sawyer says, I will personally, in complete seriousness, buy up to 5K of action... Three, at Phil Helmuth, your move. And so that happened. So I was so originally it was 10K. I will say Max saying that he wants it to be 20 and is already in for a quarter of that makes me feel like 20K is no problem. Uh, another one, uh, the only other person I've really talked to about this is Stuart Young, who is one of the, Stuart from Poker Time. Uh, and he's also expressed interest in buying action. So... If this were to go down, I don't think we're going to have any problems selling action, which is great because I don't want to be in for the full 20. <laughs> Just between <laughs> us, I want to put about $5,000 of my own money and you know, play with everyone else's money besides that. Um, but anyway, uh, it feels like, I don't know, maybe there's going to be some critical mass. Maybe, maybe the number's going to get high enough. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, maybe we're just never going to speak of it again. But it feels like there's a tiny bit of momentum with the Phil Helmut Challenge right now. I don't know. Max Sawyer did not specify who he wanted to put 5K on. He did not say that it was for you. I mean, I'm the only guy who challenged Phil Helmuth, right? You didn't. I did. He could be. He could be offering to buy 5K of Phil, Jonathan. Oh, (laughs) do you not see this? (laughs) (laughs) I did not. I thought. Okay. Well, that would be uh, an interesting twist. My feelings would be so hurt, I would probably just take my ball and go home. I'll tell you what, right now. <laughs> be like, you I mean, for sure he meant you, but it's, fu- it's funny because he didn't specify. So That is great. It's, I, it's for sure you. No, of course, but it is pretty funny. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. I will personally buy up to 5K of action. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It could be anything. Hmm. I, I mean, I really wanted to do the double thing where it's you and me against Phil and Mike, but you, uh, you weren't interested in that. But also the, the, the mono-on-mono thing is probably better anyway. Probably it is. It's better for a lot of reasons. I honestly don't want to pick on Mike Matisau. Oh, I right. honestly feel a little bad yeah. for the guy. It's like not like, fair. It's just not fair. Yeah. It's like it's like we're all we're all NBA players. And we've got like that thirteen year old like playing basketball with us. Like yeah, of course we're dunking <laughs> on him. Like it's not fair to play against Mike. <laughs> oh man, I mean that was just. Oh man, that was harsh. Yeah, we're gonna get. That it. was pretty. Oh harsh. man, if these guys hear this, they are coming after us. They are coming hard. It's gonna be crazy. They're coming after you. I'm pretty much unimpeachable <laughs> through all of this. You agree with everything I say, though. You didn't say like, "How can you say that?" You're like, "Yeah, that's true." <laughs> You're in trouble too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel bad about it. Oh, I don't. No, that's I don't the difference. Hey, anyway, speaking okay. of Twitter, yeah. this hand was suggested on Twitter by Ryan Davy. Great suggestion, Ryan. A little surprised. This is the only suggestion, maybe because. It's not that big of an event. It's a 5K. First place is only 162K, which is, you know, a bit smaller potatoes than stuff we usually analyze. Doesn't mean it's not worth analyzing, of course. The bigger the money does not mean the more interesting the play, as we've seen many times in the past, and we will see again today in this hand. These guys are heads up. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So they're playing for all the the monies. And what uh, what are the prizes? Second place is 126K, and first place is 162K. Okay. So they're playing for basically $36,000 here. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, And I certainly don't know all of the online player names, so there might have been other notable players at this final table, but I do see that Mike Watson, Sir Watts, finished fourth. Yeah. That's a formidable opponent. 
quite good. Also in the top five uh, of the uh, current uh, top five oh. pocket fives rankings. So that's a. Uh, that's that's kind of a sustained greatness for yeah. Mike Watson at this point. He's been doing it for a long time. He does it live and and online too. It's weird because he always has sort of this look about him of like being like the kid who gets maybe even picked on a little bit in the live in the live poker yeah. game. And yet it feels now like he's like the guy where everyone else is doing these higher variance moves, like like traders who make high variance plays and stuff like that. So some of them, sh- there's always someone who's shining and you never really get to shine. But like ten years later, you're the only one left because like. You're making the actual just, good plays over over long periods of time. He's just investing in the index fund. I mean, effectively, <laughs> like, like the high, the super high end poker index fund. But yes, like it feels it feels like that's yeah. what's going on. Like um, the book "Fooled by Randomness," which is a classic, by the way. If you guys don't know what that is, and it's not about poker, it's about money and just patterns in general and how people act and and w- what people ascribe success to. Um, there's this great story by the author where he's, he's the trader who is always betting on the right price. And so he's often like, he takes a lot of losses, but over time he does well. And across the street, there's this huge mansion. And every three years, some new young hotshot money guy moves in because he's killed it that year. And three years later, the guy has to move out with his family because they're broke. And it just happens. Every, it's like a cycle because it's just, everyone's doing these two, they're too high risk. And maybe Sir Watts is like, you know, is the guy, actually. Maybe he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonomo has his moment. Federer has his moment. But I'm the guy who every year in, year out, I'm in the top five. You know, maybe. Yeah, like the trend now is to fold hands like Jack 10 off in the big blind to a min-raise, and Mike Watson is not doing that shit. He's like, yeah, that's clearly wrong. I'm going to keep doing the things that are normal, normally good. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that's a smart idea. Do the things that are good. It does seem like that's wrong, but... You know, maybe we'll learn that they, we'll learn for some reason why it isn't. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like no one is calling with like the King Seven offs I, anymore in the big blind. I'll say that. Yeah, strange world we live in. Anyway, Ryan Davy did suggest this on Twitter. Included right. a YouTube link and a timestamp. All wonderful things to do. That's the only way you can get your hand on the breakdown. Bam! Very exciting stuff. Uh, so, so we are heads up playing for a. About 35k, a little bit more, and uh, the blinds are 125 and 250k. And one B Connor B one or whatever. Sorry, I got that wrong. I'm sure that enraged some people. Um, he's going to be on the button slash small blind. He's got 17.7 million at 250k big blind as the effective stack. So they're they're pretty deep heads up. He's got yeah. king nine off, king of spades, nine of hearts, makes it 625. Not much to say here. Might expect it to be a little bit more or a min-raise, but whatever. He's picked his size. It doesn't matter. It's heads up. You kind of fall into a rhythm. Whatever happens, happens. It's cool. Luke Reeves, bit too easy in the big blind, has five deuce of hearts. He is not folding the big blind with a reasonable hand. He is calling the big blind. He's got just about three million or two and a half million more than Beresford. So they're close in chips. He's got 20.1 million. So we've got king nine off against five deuce of hearts, king nine for Beresford, and five deuce for Reeves, who's in the big blind. The pot is 1.3 million-ish. The flop is the deuce of diamonds, three of clubs, six of hearts. So quick question, holistic question about this flop. When you're, when you're Reeves in this spot, if it's heads up, it's a little different. But if it's a full ring and like a plus two opened and you have five deuce on this board, is this a check-raising board for you at Deep Stacks? Um, I think it's one to strongly consider check-raising for sure. 
I think it's it's the kind of board we should be check raising a fair amount of the time. I know you've been super into check raising these kinds of boards and very successfully of late. You mentioned uh, on recent podcasts yeah. and things. Um, I would say in practice, I guess I haven't really played poker in months at this point because of quarantine and the like. Uh, so I don't know, but I, I haven't in the old days check raised this board that much, but I'm kind of excited to check raise this kind of board a lot more in the future <laughs> based on, even well, especially with like a pair, pair in a gut shot where if you get called, you have generally reasonable equity. Oh yeah. I thought you were just talking about the board in general, not even your hand when you were asking the question. Well, I don't think you can do it a hundred percent of the time no. unless you have a very exploitable opponent, but like five deuce feels like a, an interesting candidate to do it with. Whereas I feel like 10 years ago, that would be considered suicide because um, you have showdown value and you're not supposed to check raise when you have showdown value. But it feels like a lot of good things can come of check raising five deuce on this board in at least in a full ring against an early position opener where you can threaten the nuts a lot more easily than they can. You can have any of the sets or two pair combos. You have a hand that can improve if you get called by an over pair or something of the like. So, What's your intention? It feels like a, a. What's your intention for check raising though? What, like, because there's there's three reasons why we we would check raise, right? We're check raising as a bluff, check yeah. raise as value, or we check raise to deny equity. What's your reason? Uh, number one is as equity denial. I don't think it's effective as a bluff yet. So I think for for right now, like the main thing is equity denial, but it has it's not. You, f- you frame that question as if you have to have only one reason, and I don't that's think true. that's true. You're right. I did frame it that way. Um, and so I think equity denial is the most important factor here. It is effective and good. I think at the same point, it creates situations where you can win the hand down the line that you would not otherwise have had against hands that are absolutely calling you on the flop. Like, you know, two eights are going to call you on this flop, but multiple good things can happen when two eights call you on this flop. Uh, you get more chips in, in the times that you improve, and it's really scary. Uh, and you can bluff them later down the line if you don't improve a lot of the time. So I think when you're deep stacked and you have a clear range advantage, like the, I guess the heart of the matter is the range advantage, but the fact that you have a hand that has equity and can improve makes it feel a little bit better. I, you know, I feel like this is a continuing discussion we're, we're having now over the course of multiple podcasts. I'm still not convinced. I know good players will do this, but I'm still not convinced that pair in a gut shot is generally a great check raising hand and that I'd want to have a stronger or weaker hand rather than one that feels more in the middle where, sure, we can take advantage of things and good stuff can happen. And there's something powerful about um, when scary cards come, we're already have bloated the pot and our opponent may already be more committed to the pot at that point. Although it is going to be hard to get paid when scary cards come anyway, but still. Um, we can also put ourselves in some really weird slash bad spots sometimes. Uh, I mean... This hand is bad enough that that's not necessarily true. Its current standing is bad enough that you'd like, if you get a three bet, you obviously just fold the hand. You do? It's not, it's not I that mean, bad of what a spot. Do you, what's three betting you? What range is three betting? I mean, sets and over sets and stubborn over pairs. If we think our opponent has three bets from over pairs, though, why are we, re, why are we check raising? I'm just, I'm not, no, maybe you don't know. Well, I mean, we would in, admittedly, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, it gets weird. Um, I personally would rather still, like, do this more as an obvious bluff or as an obvious value play, like two pair plus um, gut shot only kind of a thing and be calling with a hand like this. But I, I don't know the answer. I'm not saying that I'm right when I say this, but my inclination remains. Like I, I'm, not, I'm yet to be convinced, I guess what I'm saying, to swing over to your side of the, uh, the boat at this point. Not that you've spent a lot of time trying to convince me, but still, like I'm not there. 
I just think uh, maybe maybe it's the difference in frequencies for us because I think on this board out of the big blind when an early position opener raises, it's like mostly a check raise or a fold for me. It's there's not too many calls there with five deuce, with any hand my with my uh, entire range. I see. So five deuce becomes included in the parts that I check raise. Huh. I think my check calls are like my check calls are probably over pairs, like uh, th- which I would have many of uh, based on mm-hmm. the early position open and me flatting out of the big blind. So if you have like seven six, you're ch- you're inclined to check raise that, or is that more of a call? No, that's no. I guess I guess a dry six and a dry three and a dry deuce are check calls too. But when they also have a gut shot, I like I like to put them in the check raising oh, piece okay. of things because of like because then there's more ways to improve when you get called and you get more money in in those instances where you get called and you actually do improve. It sounds like you're probably unbalanced. Then it sounds like it if you're raising pairs and gutters and plus like I assume that means you're raising a bunch of your two pairs and sets and all that stuff yeah. too. But you don't have that many of those. You have a lot more pairs and gutters, I would guess, than the strong value. Yeah. Um, and although I guess you also have a pair, so it gets weird, but I would think if you're doing that, that if someone, now some people can't know what your strategy is. So that works, except you're announcing it to the world right now. So I guess they can, but like, I would think that on this board, what that would mean is if I had a hand like two eights, my job would be to never fold against you. Like I bet with the intention of never folding, right? It would, that would have to, that's the, only, that's, that's the only way to respond to your doing that. I would think. Because you're going to have a lot of bluffs, too, I right? guess. I mean, not really. I mean, it, it depends on the situation that you really think combinatorially you're in. Because, like, I called out of the big blind. You didn't make it that much, probably, yeah. in, if we're in a tournament. Sure. Right? So I have maybe literally every two-pair combo. I have every set combo. I have 16 combos of 4-5. Like, I have a lot of strong value here. But you just said That's you're the almost... Reason. You, you just said you're either raising or folding this and almost never calling. So, like, you have to have a lot of bluffs there, too, don't you? Like, pure bluffs. I don't. I mean, I can just have any gut shot that I want, but I don't have to have all of the gut shots. It could just be the gut shots with backdoor flush draws. So, if you have overcards, you're just folding? Or that's your call? Is that a call with overcards? No, overpairs and dry one-pair hands are my calls. So, what are you doing with uh, ace-nine? You're just folding it? Depends on if I know anything about my opponent and the sizing and everything. Let's I'm often going to fold that. I mean, let's assume it's an, if we're, a half pot bet and, you know, your opponent is going to see bet a lot. How deep are we? Reasonably. 45 blinds. I don't know. I'm just making things up here. Yeah, I'm probably just going to fold. Okay. I've yet to really understand the strong strategic advantage of this so far, I guess, is part of the thing. And, and maybe... Like what the value of that? The only thing I can, I can really I really personally see the value of raising the literally the pair in the gut shot is that it gives you this weird sort of mergy spot where your opponent may sometimes fold a better hand and sometimes not fold a call with a worse hand, which is cool. Um, and of course, you do blow up the pot before you improve, which means you might be able to win a really big pot when you do improve once in a while. Um, so those things are good. But I guess I don't see I that mean, as super strong. I don't think either of those things are super likely. Like, I think mostly better hands are not folding. I think mostly worse hands are folding. I think the scary board... I definitely don't... What? I definitely don't expect over pairs to fold to my check raise. And I don't expect, like, a good six to fold to my check raise. Right. It's, 
if I get called, it, it becomes a multi-street plan unless the route is, is terrible. And that's just part of the deal. And I think this is such a significant range advantage board in the scenario that I'm laying out that I want to have way more check raises than I do check calls right. because of that. And I think that's okay. overall profitable against the field of the world. And to be clear, if I'm going to drop off some of my check raises, the first ones that I would drop off of the ones that I laid out would be the pairs with gut shots. I would okay. rather check raise a simple gut shot than a pair with a gut shot. But I think I want to have a ton of check raises here Got due it. to the and range so, advantage. So what you're basically saying is just because you're going to have so many check raise bluffs here because of the range advantage, you need to have more value. And the way to, yeah. the way to sort of scrape out value is to, um, yeah. to have these hands. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So if you just want to have a lot of check raises, that does make some sense. I get that. Yeah. Um, anyway, the original point of what I was going to say is I don't think that's the scenario when your head's up and it's small versus no. big at all. Definitely I don't, not. I, I don't think that makes this a check raise board at all in yeah. this spot. This is like a pretty simple check call and like mostly call the turn to um, pretty much any card, right? Almost any card. Maybe any card. I think sizing, maybe sometimes like a king or an ace comes, he bets really big and we decide to fold bottom pair gutter, but rarely. Yeah, I think we're mostly going to make it to the river. Yeah. Anyway. We don't have to worry about any of that as Luke Reeves on the deuce three, six <laughs> rainbow board with five deuce of hearts. There is a six of hearts on the board. So we have the backdoor flush draw because it goes check, check. Connor Beresford checks back his king nine off. That may just be due to a uh, potential range advantage that Luke Reeves has. I don't know, but it's not really clear. There's a range advantage here in a heads up match. I mean, I guess Beresford must think that either Reeves is attacking these kinds of boards too much for him to be able to want to bet mm-hmm. some of his air. Um, Beresford's got to have some check backs and two over cards is a pretty good one. Also, King High rates to be the best hand a fair amount here, um, where he's going to get yeah. three bet sometimes when there's an, when he's against an ace or even a better king is often going to three bet. So maybe you put all those things together and he's like, you know, cheap showdown's fine with me. I can induce bluffs. I would like to say only on this show do you and I does anyone in the history of the world spend ten minutes talking about should you check raise this board and instead the actual action is check check. <laughs> like we, we're going back and forth for such a long time. <laughs> What's the right play if the when the guy see bets and all these things coming up with this is how much he's betting. This is how deep you are. None of these things happen. None of this is in play. It goes check check. I love that about this show. Yeah, the, that's the uh, it's it's exemplary of how this podcast is not only for entertainment. It's a it's a it's a learning tool not only for the listeners but for the podcasters. Yeah, like we we learn through these discussions and we, the listeners get the osmosis of that learning and. That's one of the values of listening to this excellent podcast that you all have the privilege of listening to today. <laughs> you bastards. Now buy some stuff. <laughs> yeah, we have a book. You should buy that. <laughs> Pieces of crap, buy our book. All right, so it does go check, check. And uh, that's how that went. Mm. And the way nitrogen began, nitrogen sports, mm. it's unclear. It's a hazy memory collectively that we all have. If some sort, some sort of light in the darkness just started to shine, and it was like, here we are. We're nitrogen sports, and we'll give you your money in ninety minutes. It's like the birth of and I'm Skynet. Referring, yes, it's like the birth of Skynet, except in a good way. It's not bad. Why is? Wow. Oh, so you're so pejorative now. Oh, robots running everything is bad. Humans all getting slaughtered is wow. bad. I mean, come on. We agreed not to get political <laughs> on this one. <laughs> oh. So you're in the you're in the pro Skynet party. I'm in the Skynet neutral party, more central. <laughs> yeah. I'm not one of those crazy Skynet is bad guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exterminating humans are bad. Can you believe those insane radicals? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. This this happened. (laughs) Yeah, Nitrogen Sports. It is the sponsor of this podcast. And if you use the link in the description of this podcast, when you sign up for Nitrogen, you get access to the greatest iterated value in tournament poker. It is our monthly Poker Guys tournament. It is a 0.1 millibit buy-in with 100 millibits guaranteed. That means there are 1,000 buy-ins guaranteed. And we never get more than 300 players. I don't think we've even gotten up to 300, but 300 is the max that they cap it at because they just want to give away money. That means there's at least 700 buy-ins added in by nitrogen every time. It's an absurd value. We talk about it every week. And even though we've talked about it so many times, there's still like a little twinge in me that's like surprised. When we say it, like yeah. this is actually happening. It's, it's it's quite shocking. And to give people a sense of the amount of money that they're just putting up for free. So, I mean, it's it's based on the price of Bitcoin because it's 100 millibits, right? So these days, that's like almost $1,100. They're just like going to be like, sure, here. And, you know, and it costs you a little over a dollar to play. And you max out at a few hundred, like 200 people. So I guess you absolutely max out at 300 people, i.e. there's like eight eight $850 in there every time. I mean, it's totally crazy. It's just, it's all in Bitcoin, but it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It is. It's an incredibly good deal. And, you know, this may not, this may never happen again, but there was a time when they made the mistake and Mm. and guaranteed a tournament for one full Bitcoin back when Bitcoin was at like $4,400 or something like that. Yeah, they screwed up. Jonathan ended up getting second in that. Oh, (laughs) it was great. I think think it was like at 6,000 because I got like, I won like two or $2,000 worth of Bitcoin or something like that. Like that day, it was amazing. And it was like a $1 buy-in, essentially, or it was a free roll or something I, like that? It may have been a free roll. <laughs> I think it was actually a free roll. I don't even think it was a buy-in. But either way, it, it doesn't matter. It was incredible. And uh, I actually had, like, heads up, I had, like, an 11-to-1 chip lead, and the guy won, like, seven straight all-ins and beat me. Otherwise, I would have won even a little bit more. But I was thrilled, obviously, to win second place with all that yeah. extra free money. No, no complaining. No. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to the action here. Yes. We've got the Deuce 3 6 rainbow board. One heart on there for Luke Reeves, who has five Deuce of Hearts out of the big blind, who called preflop. When check check on the flop against Connor Beresford's King of Spades, nine of hearts. The turn is another six. The six of clubs brings a second club. Feels like a pretty standard spot for Reeves to start denying equity here and building a pot Absolutely. with his five Deuce. Yeah. Seems super straightforward. If we're losing, fine. We're going to check call anyway. Like we're going to put a bet is going in. We're going to put chips in the pot either way. Might as well start denying equity. I mean, we can get called by worse hands even, probably. Like, we can get called by some big ace highs and stuff, I would assume. So Reeves bets pretty big. He bets 987 into a pot of 1.3-ish million. What do you think about that sizing? I mean, this is what all the kids are doing, right? Everybody is sizing up on the turn now. It used to be flop, clean up equity as a C-bet, tiny, size up big on the turn, make them pay. Uh, don't give them odds to draw to their draw and force them force their hand a little bit. And this is just what this is just the way people play now. Like, well, it it makes a lot of sense when you think about it because like most draws on the flop at most stack depths are going to have the right odds to call most bets. Like you have to make a yeah just like an excessively large bet to actually price out draws when you factor in things like implied odds. And on the turn, that's no longer the case. Yep. So it, ma- it makes a lot of sense that you just clean up like the, the flops and jets them on the flop with a small bet. And then on the turn, you're like, okay, do you really want to do this with your heart draw? Like you're not getting the right price. Right. And of course, by betting bigger too, we also, and clearly this is true for Reeves right here. Uh, if we're bluffing, it makes our bluff more effective 
Like if we bet half pot yeah. here, like it's easier to call with ace nine or king high or whatever. But like when we bet, you know, 80% of pot or 75% of pot, it's just more expensive. And you assume we are going to get more folds. I would assume that. So it works on both levels. You would assume that, but Beresford makes the call with yeah. king nine. Yeah, Does this feel like just too deep down in the range to make this call? I don't know. I mean, it, yes. My initial inclination is yes, it does feel that way. Um, Beresford, being the number one player in the world, makes me think like he probably has this figured out and knows that King Nine is just barely okay to call and that we're wrong and he's right is my, is my initial guess, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, it does instinctively, intuitively feel incorrect to make this call. It feels just like, a li- like King Queen even. I'd be like, yeah, he doesn't have very many aces. I have the best king. It's cool. But if maybe if you're Beresford, you think, um, well, Luke Reeves is three-betting most of his aces. Luke Reeves is three-betting all better kings. So actually, like, I'm beating all bluffs here. Like, I'm beating all unpaired hands, or nearly nearly all unpaired hands. Maybe you assume that. Yeah. Um, plus, you have overcards. And it is only four blinds. I mean, it's kind of pricey, honestly. But it's not insanely pricey. We have position. Um, and this is a card which the board doesn't change in terms of, like, if we were ahead, we're still ahead. If we're behind, we're still behind. Uh, so that's pretty good. Like, there's a lot of cards where, like, a four, a five, a seven, eight, although that doesn't complete any draws, but there are cards where it's, like, just hits more of uh, Luke Reeves' range, and it's a harder deal, right? But this is, like, one of the dreamy cards in terms of, like, if we're going to station with King High, it's one of the best cards. It's probably among the very, very best cards to do it with. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it seems like a little loose for me, but yeah. like you said, this guy's the number one online player in the world. We've got to give him a little leeway there. I would assume his, he's solved this one out, and King-9 is a call. But I would have folded it for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought much of it. Maybe it's uh, a fold if he has a club, because then hmm. it means that uh, Luke Reeves is less likely to have club draws, meaning he's more likely to have a made hand. Maybe... So if you have the king of clubs or the nine of clubs, you're more likely to fold, perhaps? Maybe. Although maybe if you have the king of clubs, you're like, well, I can call so I can make a play on the river when a club comes. You know, maybe you could almost talk yourself into it the other way, too, where you have some bluffing opportunities. Yeah. But the nine of clubs, I think, is maybe an easier fold. Anyway, it does call. And uh, the pot's now going to be 3.29 million. And the river is the nine of spades. Hey! Top pair now for Mr. Number One overall. Well, hello, Mr. Peanut. Here's an interesting thing. Reeves bets again, and yeah. he bets a lot smaller this time. He bets 1.05 million with Deuce Five on the Deuce Three Six Six Nine No Flush board. This is designed to get called base high, right? That's just the whole plan. It feels like it has to be right. It's just too small. You just assume you're never folding out any pair when you bet this small after getting called on the turn for this sizing. So you're just trying to get, yeah, I think so you're just trying to get called by ace-queen or something. And it works as a blocker as well, I suppose. Yeah. Although it's hard to think of a blocker against what? Because, like, it would have to be a nine, basically, because Beresford didn't bet the flop. Maybe he's doing a holistic range-based strategy where he's not betting that flop. Yeah. But like we said, there's not a clear range advantage here when you're heads up. So I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think if I were guessing, I would guess Beresford's likely to bet a six or do so or three on the on the flop. Um so yeah. it's not it's not that effective as a blocker because of that. 
I mean, Beresford probably has a few checkbacks with overpairs on the flop. So this may act as a nice blocker against like pocket eights or something like that, where it's a little bit cheaper for check calling anyway, most of the time. But I feel you. It feels like that's not really what this is about. It feels like this is like, pay me, Mo, foe. Just pay me. Yeah, I'm a bit too easy, like and that. everyone knows it. Everyone knows that Luke Reeves is a bit too easy. I'm a household name. Pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So big question is, should Beresford consider raising? He hit an incredibly good card on the river with a nine. But, yeah. I mean, Reeves absolutely has sixes in his range, which is problematic. But he has a, a lot more combos of deuces and threes than he does of sixes. Should Beresford consider raising? It wouldn't really occur to me personally to consider raising because while there are combos of deuces and threes, we have to get called by them also. Like, we just call the big bet on the turn, and now we raise the river. I mean, I would assume we're folding out most deuces and threes. So if that's true, then a raise doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And, of course, we are sometimes yeah. up against trip sixes, which are, or better, that Luke Reeves absolutely can have. There's no reason that he wouldn't have those hands. And, of course, those hands are never folding. We're just valuing ourselves. I guess sometimes we may have been up against a nine that was bluffing the turn, and we're out kicking the nine and may call a raise, but maybe not even. I don't know. It doesn't, I, would, it wouldn't, I wouldn't want to raise here. What do, you, what do you think? I wouldn't really think about raising here, but we're exploring it because, of course, Connor does raise. Of course. And this must be designed to get called by a deuce or a three, right? Or a nine. Or if somehow like nine ten yeah. is in play or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he does raise. He raises to four point nine million over one point oh five million. Pretty big raise. It feels so thin. So insanely well, thin. This is how you get to be the number one player in the world, I guess, is you're able to make this kind of a race. So he's trying to rep a club draw, I guess. Yeah. He really he really sizes it up to he five almost five X's this. Like you almost never see that big a race, you know. I guess it was a small bet on the river. But still. He's trying to rep a club draw or ace four or ace five. Those are the hands that I could think of that might play it this way. I mean, ace four or ace five could decide to just call. It doesn't have to raise. Yeah. But I guess they could decide they're losing to a hand like they're losing to and not want not to have that happen. So, yeah, I mean, this might work out. He might get called by a deuce. It's I mean, possible because, like, could he? what is he repping? It's, he's not repping much. He called the turn. He yeah. raised the river. He's repping some stuff. I admit he can have a club draw, I guess, but he's not going to just... I would guess Beresford is not going to just have a random club draw here. I would guess that he's going to have blockers with his club draw, at least if he's... So maybe he has a, maybe he has a gut shot, like you were saying, like a four or five in his hand sometimes. Um, I'm not even sure what else he would have. He has, a, he has a two sevens in his hand, so he can block seven, six. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't feel like enough. No. It's not much of a blocker. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little perplexed by this. Well, it seems like it's not going to work out because Reeves now moves in with his five deuce for an additional 11.1 million yep. over the 4.9 million effective. Gotcha. Look who fucked up. So Number one player in the world fucked what's up. Happening with, <laughs> what's happening with Reeves here feels pretty clear to me. It feels like... He's just saying, you didn't bet the flop. I could easily have a six or a full house or a four or five. So deal with that, buddy, because I also blocked deuces full. Yeah. And he, six is full of deuces. Yeah, he's, he's basically saying you, had to, you would have had to check back um, 
a, a pair of nines, basically, or be slow playing a monster for you to be able to call here, right? Like, check back on the flop, pocket nines, I'm saying. So you river the full house, and of course you're calling then. But, like, like what else do you have? Like, you have quad sixes? Like, there's not much for you to have here. So Reeves, um, like, sniffs so it out. So quick question about this, about this raise, though. Would it be better just to call? Like, is raising an excess risk that's not necessary because... Like, we're trying to fold out weird hands then. We're trying to fold out a hand like Beresford has or like an overpair. We have to know that Beresford goes for a lot of thin value with raises on the river to be able to make this play, right? Because now we're actively trying to punish him for that thin, unusual play with our own thin, unusual play, right? But that feels like exactly what's going on. It feels like Luke Reeves understands that Beresford is going to have nines here and hands like nines, you know, just one nine, not pocket nines, you know, and make a raise thinking he's good. And we can just, and we've seen it happen enough that we're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can just like, forget that, man. I have trip sixes, go away. Like there's nothing you can do. Like based on how you play this hand, you just don't have pocket nines and you don't have a straight and you don't have a set. You just don't have anything like that's good enough here. You're just always beat, bro. Makes sense to me. Well, I like this play. It does. Seems Seems like it should work, but guess what? It doesn't. I mean, Beresford calls. Wow. All right. What happened? Okay. <laughs> How do you do that? I just want to say this is one of the most interesting river decisions we've ever seen. I feel like. Yeah. Um, Bears, the only reason why Beresford could even consider calling is he is out leveled Reeves, who we just, I was just saying out leveled Beresford, right? Re- like it started with. Beresford saying, I can get value with my nine. Like, top pair is good enough, and I'm even going to get called because I go for enough thin value here, and I also have enough bluffs here that I know you can call me. And then <laughs> frickin' Reeves is like, no, no, no. I know enough about you to know that, like, calling with the deuce isn't good enough here, but I can get you to, I can move you off basically every hand because you never have really strong value. And then Beresford just goes one level further and says, I don't need to have strong value because I understand what you're thinking. And when you do this, you don't have to have it. But let me ask a question. What about all the times he does have it? <laughs> Doesn't he have it a lot? Is he going to, can these frequencies possibly be, make this a profitable call? I don't know. My guess especially with Beresford being the number one online in particular player in the world. Yeah. My guess is that his game is pretty solver heavy. Yeah. And I would assume that based on his ranges of checkbacks on the flop, that's what leads him to raise a nine on the river. Like he has to raise a nine on the river from a solver frequency perspective. Right. And then it makes the nine a call. Cause it's like the second best nine he could have. And he be, if he's actually not betting sixes on the flop based on his, his ranges and he's not betting, uh, or if he actually is betting sixes right. on the flop and is betting straights and is betting sets on the flop, then this becomes, and, and is betting over pairs especially, then this becomes like the second best hand he could ever have. And he's like, well, I have to raise it. And then it's still the second best hand I ever have. I have to call. Right. That is, I think that's correct. I think it's got to be what you just said. Like distribution just demands a call here. He also doesn't have a club, which really plays into this now, right? Where it's like, well, I guess you could have your miss flush draw with a four or five in your hand or something, or maybe not even just miss yeah. flush draw, but like not blocking your flush draw is kind of great. I wonder if he has a club in his hand on the river, if he actually is still calling. Maybe he is because it's the second best hand rank wise, but he can have better, like maybe, maybe other nines that don't have clubs are better than like King nine with a club. I don't know. They have to check the solver for that, but either way, 
That's got to be what it is, though. It makes perfect sense to me. I agree with you. It's the second best hand he can ever show up with, assuming he's betting all normal value stuff on the flop because they're heads up, and they're going to be pretty wide, right? Yeah. Assuming he raises sense. all nines on the river, like based on his solved right. thing, that he raises all nines on the river, therefore, like, this is high up enough in the distribution, even though it's a scary situation. Maybe he's even calling with queen nine. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. I don't, yeah, I wonder if he's raising literally all nine. I mean, the thing is, he's got to call the turn, though. So there aren't, is he even calling the turn with queen nine? This is, this is actually, true. it gets weird again, right? Like, I guess he has other king highs, but like, I don't know that he's going to call the turn with queen nine. Like, that may not be good enough showdown value. He's losing to king four and king five. I, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. So then, this may be the worst nine we have. <laughs> also the second best, but we may only have ace nine and king nine. Unless we have clubs. We maybe it clubs. comes down to right, maybe nine it comes clubs. down to any ace or, or ace or king nine that doesn't have a club as a call and that does have a club as a fold. Maybe. Maybe. Um, maybe also like because we can have any nine that are two, that's two clubs, we can reasonably have here two. That's other nines we can show up with at least. And so it makes king yeah. nine an easier call. It pushes it up yeah. a little bit in terms of value. Wow. This is complicated. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure we got it right. That's just the best guess. I mean, there are three plays on the river that are like, what? <laughs> three of them. That's incredible. Like, oh, this guy's got yeah. a pair. He raises. This guy has a pair. He re-raises. This guy calls with the top pair, the all-in. Wow. By the way, they're heads up for, like, the money. It's all the money is basically. Like, they're deep enough. Sure. Like, Louis is still going to have a little bit. He's going to have, like, 10 blinds left over. Once this hand is over, because as we said, Beresford calls. So, like, it's basically the tournament. It's not 100%, but it's basically the tournament, right? Like, Beresford's going to have, like, 140 blinds, and Lucrez is going to have 10. I mean, it's almost always over. This is yep. crazy. This and, is amazing. Uh, it was. Beresford did go, in, go on to win this, and, yeah, he made that call somehow. Yeah, I mean, I would think as Luke Reeves, I would just be sort of like... I just be down in the dumps after this call. It's like, man, I did everything <laughs> right. I can't, I can't play any better than yeah. that. And Beresford's like, yeah, you can't play any better than that. That's right. <laughs> and I still beat you. <laughs> I still out leveled you. I mean, wow. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty a, impressive it's stuff. Really, it's an exciting hand. Yeah. Music is my sunlight, and all I need is one mic. And I can show every single MC how it's done right. Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired. I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not. We got one life, and I took a minor break, but I'm back to claim the throne. And gonna be traveling the globe, we still have time.